I bet you were thinking, where'd he go? He came out and then he left. Um, good morning. Jesus loves us so much. It is amazing to be able to see everybody out here. It's great. Yesterday I was up here and you would not believe the rain that was coming down and the puddles that were here. And then this morning we came up and then we were able to see the wind that was really uh, doing a number on the, on the church. And I was like, I don't know if the tent's going to stay up, but I just want to thank everyone who uh, put this together. And I also just want to start this morning by telling you uh, about Jesus's power, Jesus's love for every single one of you and for me. And it is so amazing. It's hard to believe how much he loves us, how much he cares about us. And in Mark 4, it shows that Jesus is getting in a boat. He, David had preached last time. He spoke about Jesus standing in the boat and speaking to his disciples and speaking to the people who followed him. And they could hear him because he was on the water. So at the end of that, at the end of speaking those parables to everyone, he gets in the boat and he gets in the boat with his disciples. And in Mark 4, it says he gets in the boat with his disciples and other boats were with them and they go out into the ocean, out into the Galilean Sea. And it's interesting because Jesus has a plan. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what's happening. And the disciples are pretty much following. They're out on the water and they are traveling probably northwest to go east to go to the Gerasenes, to go around about six miles on the lake. And as they're out on the water, they come into a storm. This is a storm that takes them by surprise. They're about 650, 690 feet below sea level, and gales come every once in a while. But these are like mini hurricanes, like a storm you had never seen before. And there are these fishermen. I think about this. These are guys that could definitely take me. These are guys that could definitely take me, and they are big, tough guys. Now, these are guys in the boat where all of a sudden this storm comes, and, the, and God's Word says that the water, the water starts filling up into the boat. Now, you wouldn't think they'd be afraid. They eat, sleep, and drink water. They eat, sleep, and drink fishing out in the sea. And here they are. It says they are so frightened. And then think of the, the contrast here. Here's God in the boat. Here's God in the boat. Jesus Christ is in the boat with them, and he is sleeping. He is out. Not a care in the world, not a fear. He's sleeping there. Now these fishermen come, and they wake him up. And they say something that's so interesting to me. And I have to be honest to you. I have said this to God before as well. I don't know if you've said it before. God, don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you care what's happening? We are going to die. And I love, I love Jesus' response because at first I thought, wow, that's kind of rough. Where's your faith? Where's your, where you have little faith. It's, it's a little rough, but it's really not. He loves them so much. He's trying to draw them closer to him and understand who he is. He is the Son of God. And Mark said that in the beginning of his gospel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we are seeing in this story the power of Jesus, the power to be able to stand there. He stands there and says, be still, calm, and all the wind and all the rain and everything is just silent. It says it's still. There's not a ripple in the water. This is such an amazing miracle that it says that the disciples were frightened. If we were ever in the presence of God, we would be frightened. We would be on our faces, on the ground. It says they were frightened. I would think that the disciples would be jumping up and down in the boat, hugging each other and saying, Woohoo! 
we're saved. But it says they're frightened. And then they ask this question. They say, who is this? Have you ever asked that question? Who is this? Who could calm the wind? Who could calm the ocean? Who is this? You need to ask that question for yourself. And I've asked that question. You need to ask that question in your life. Who is Jesus Christ? I'm telling you, he is God. Ask that question and he will answer it. Ask him and he will answer that question. You know, you think you have a storm and God brings you through it. And then you're like, that's awesome. Thank you, God. Well, what we're going to learn this morning is that they step out of the boat and they walk right into another storm. We'll see that in a little bit. But we see that, that Jesus Christ has the power over our storms. Let's face it. Who would have thought about 80 days ago, coronavirus, COVID-19, an economic disaster, the death of George Floyd and many others, protests, things that are happening in our world that, you know, I don't know about you, how you handle it, but I suck everything down deep inside and then all of a sudden it just comes out. I don't know how you handle the stress and the storms that you're going through. I don't know what you do, but I know God wants us to cry out to him. Listen to the, the, uh, um, what distress means. It means the state of severe anxiety or a strain often brought about by failing. I love this. It says, the definition says failing an exam. I have that recurring dream all the time that I didn't study and I failed an exam. I haven't been in school in years and I still have that. Uh, it also says passing a grizzly, grizzly bear. When you're in distress, thank goodness we don't have any grizzly bears. I don't think anyone would really go up and poke one. But the point is that if you're under distress, sometimes it's something coming out you, but sometimes it's something that you've actually done that caused the distress. And the disciples in the boat, their faith is not where it needs to be. And I could be honest with you, my faith is not always where it needs to be. And I have found that my lack of faith and my fear and my anxiety leads to sin in my own life. I can't speak for you, but I know when I don't cry out to God, when I don't say, God, I'm having a storm here. I need your help. Listen to Psalm 65. You have your Bibles with you. The greatest thing that you could do is go to God's Word. Go to God's Word and open it up and read it. In Psalm 65, 6 to 8 says, Who established the mountains by his strength? being girded with might, who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of their waves, and the people, and the tumult of the people, they who dwell in the ends of the earth stand in awe of your signs, who make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. I don't know about you, but I have anxiety all the time, and I've learned to trust on God, to trust in Him. Cast your cares on Him, because He cares for you. I'm just going to read an excerpt. I think this has really helped me because I keep thinking God is making a mistake by giving me storms in my life. I keep thinking it's, it's not supposed to happen. I, I said, God, I love you. I, I want to be a follower of you. I want to follow you. And he said, yes. But then why did things happen? Why did things happen in our lives that are storms? I just want to read this to you. It says, let's note this lesson well. If we are true Christians... We must not expect everything smooth in our journey to heaven. 
And, and listen, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are on a journey to heaven. You're on your way to heaven. We must count it no strange thing if we have to endure sickness, losses, bereavements, and disappointments just like other people. Free pardon and full forgiveness, grace on the way and glory at the end, all this our Savior has promised to give, but he has never, he has never promised that we shall have no afflictions. He loves us too well to promise that. All the lessons that I've ever learned in my life have come from a storm. All the lessons that I've ever learned that drew me closer to God came from afflictions. By affliction, he teaches us many precious lessons. With, without, it would never, we would never learn. By affliction, he shows us our emptiness and our weakness, draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affections, weans us from the world, makes us long for heaven. On the resurrection morning, we will all say, it was good. It was good for me to be afflicted. Psalm 119.71. Have you ever, have you ever thanked God for the storms that he has put you in? Have you ever said, thank you, God, for what you've done? And that may sound odd. I, I actually recently did that. And I know it sounds so weird. Like, why? Why would you say thank you for that? And I say thank you because Jesus has an amazing plan to draw us all to him. James Grossi preached recently, and he was speaking about pretty much the same thing. And it's the storms, they're there to humble us. They're there to make you humble and to test us to see if we trust God and if we have him first in our hearts. And that is something that only you can do. Only you can figure that out. And the other thing is God can handle any storm. You may not feel it at the moment, but he can handle anyone. He will never, 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 never forsake you or leave you if you put your hope in him. Think of this. Jesus Christ says, be still and calm to every single one of your storms. That does not mean that bad things aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean that the things that you're afraid about aren't going to happen, but it does mean that Jesus will give you that peace that passes all understanding. So I hope you ask these questions to yourself this morning. Who is Jesus Christ? that calms the wind and the storms? Are you thankful for the storms that he's put you in? And Jesus is not speaking to them in the boat as a rash parent trying to punish them. He is truly trying to show them who he is. And I love that it's windy, because that's perfect. Now we think about our lives, and I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people are afraid to die. As I was studying for this, I was thinking about storms that comes into people's lives and, and what they do. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't have hope. A lot of people don't have hope in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And there's a story of Christian Anderson. She was a young girl. And it makes me upset just to think about it, but there's so many people like her who have no hope. And they think, I have nothing else I could do but to take my own life. She was a young teenager. She wrote her parents a note and said, I'm going for a walk. She had, in a course of two years, four friends die and her grandmother pass away. And people knew that she was having issues and that she was off a little bit, but they didn't know how depressed 
They didn't know what was going on inside, and they didn't understand it. And she walked out at that night, and she went to a park, and she sat there. And she just thought, and what came into her mind was her friend who had taken his life. And before she knew it, she walked to a nearby railroad track, and she laid down. And it was too late. She couldn't get up. Thirty-five railroad cars rode over her. And as she lay there, she just wanted to die. She just wanted to leave this world and get away from it. And what she said happened was she thought she would die. And she felt her body rise up, and then she felt her body being pushed down. To this day, she believes God saved her. And as she lay there, as disgusting as it sounds, she lay there and she turned around and looked, and she could see her legs behind her. But she was still alive. Everyone involved with this say it's an absolute positive miracle. And as she began to get better, her family, she said she grew up in a great family. She had gone to church. She went to church, and someone approached her and said, you know, if you would have died and you didn't have faith in Jesus Christ, you didn't know him as your Lord and Savior, you would have gone to hell. And a lot of people say, oh, my gosh, that's like the worst thing you could say. Is that's, that's really harsh. She didn't take it that way. She said, I think you're right. And she started this search, and she, through that church, accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She has a ministry today that goes out to so many young people who, and people, not just young people, but people who are thinking of taking their own lives, and she shares the gospel. And she wonders, too, am I having an impact? Do I have an impact? And, some, and she was on the Oprah show and some other places that she was actually be able to, on these TV shows that don't usually talk about God, be able to give the gospel. And she didn't know if she was making an impact. And someone called her one day and said, I was sitting in my living room. I had taken the gun out. I was going to kill myself. And for injuries, and I turned the TV on, and there you were. He said, you saved my life. People out there in our lives, we don't know what they're thinking. They're going through a storm. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and we'll get this at the last point that I go through, Tell them what God did in your life, and that's what Kristen has done. She didn't know miraculous web, webinar or book or anything. She's saying, this is what God has done in my life. I told you the disciples got out of the boat. I told you that all of a sudden they get out of a storm, and then they, they're on land. Then they're on land. Thank you, David. I keep walking away. I'll try to stay right here, So, which is very hard. I'll just do this. So... Um, or this. They get out of the boat, and they're just come out of a storm, and there they walk into a worse storm. But this storm, you, can't, you couldn't really understand what was going on. It wasn't the same as being in a boat with wind and rain. They get out of the boat, and right away a man comes rushing towards them. Actually, Matthew says two men. But Mark concentrates on one. They say he's naked, he's screaming, and he's flying straight towards them. I can't imagine the disciples, what they would have done. I would have been in the boat, on the ground, uh, definitely in the boat, definitely trying to paddle the other way. But here he comes straight towards Jesus, straight towards the disciples, and he is flying straight towards them. And Scripture describes him as a demon-possessed man. And here he comes, again, screaming. And it says that he spent all his time in the tombs. 
take rocks and cut his flesh. And he would scream. They had tried to shackle him, but it didn't work. He broke it. This is the strongest man that we probably ever know. And here he comes. And, and another amazing thing is you would think that he would just run right into the disciples and tackle them over. But he doesn't do that. This demon-possessed man comes flying straight at the disciples, straight at Jesus, and he bows. He bows before Jesus Christ. And he pretty much says, what do you have to do with me? Son of the, son of the most high God. See, the disciples were saying, who is this in the boat? Who is this? And here is a demon-possessed man. The demon knows exactly. He knows exactly who he is. And he is bowing before him. You see, Jesus has the power to calm our storms, but Jesus has the power to heal us. He has the power to heal each and every one of us. Jesus has the power to heal us. He's the Son of the Most High God. See, this place had taken this man and put him by the tombs. They wanted to put him over to the side. And I bet you that if anyone was walking that way, they wouldn't go that way. So Jesus asked him, what's your name? He says to the man, what is your name? Because he had, Jesus had been saying to him, spirit, come out of him. And he says, we are legion. A legion, in regular terms, is like 6,000 soldiers. This man filled with thousands and thousands of demons. And Jesus asks him his name. He says, we are legion. And then the demon basically says to him, please don't cast us out of this place. Keep us here. We want to hang out here. We like the destruction that we're doing. But Jesus wouldn't have it. And they said, okay, let us go into the pigs over there. There's 2,000 pigs standing on a hillside. And Jesus allows them to go into the pigs. 2,000 pigs go flying down a hillside into the water, and they're all drowned. Now, this doesn't go over very well. It doesn't go over very well at all with the people in the town. So much so that the herdsmen start to run into the town and tell everyone, and everyone crowds around, and then they say, what happened? And they're told what's happened. So instead of, again, having a celebration, because they see the man sitting there, he's well now, he's in his right mind, he's closed now, he has clothes on, and they didn't say, wow, this is great, and have a party. Thank you, Jesus, for healing us, healing this man, and now making everything better. They actually say to him, we want you to leave this place. I want to point out that Jesus has complete power and authority over the devil. Now, when I looked at the scripture, I said, how in the world am I going to preach on demon possession? It's not something that anybody here would really be associated with or know about. And I wanted to skip over it and go somewhere else. But I, I didn't do it. I didn't do it because it's important to understand that Jesus Christ has power over the devil and Satan, and Satan is real, and his demons are real. But you know what? Today in our world, it's not like it was in Jesus' world when he was here. 
The devil work, acts in a different way. He blinds people's eyes to who God is. I think of C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters. The book is a series of letters written from Screwtape, a senior-level demon, to his nephew Wormwood. And basically what he says to him is, you don't have to make them murderers. If, if you could get them to play a game of cards, and that works from distracting them from following God, if you could get them on Facebook and Instagram and have them spend hours and hours and hours looking at videos of other people's lives, if you could do that, you've got to make them a murderer. You don't have to do that. So in our world, Satan works so much differently than he did back then. But it's just as destructive. Because people are on their way to hell. And they, they waste their whole lives doing things that really is nothing. Why would the devil spend so much time and energy turning you into an evil person when getting you to stare at your phone for hours is just going to be just as good? Listen to 2 Corinthians 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, to whose case, in whose case the God of this world, meaning the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He's blinding people's eyes. That's where prayer comes in. Your eyes are open and you love the Lord. That's where you get on your knees and you pray to God to help people that their eyes would be open. Ephesians 6 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces, against darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen, Satan hates truth. He hates the Bible. He hates righteousness. He hates peace. He hates faith. He hates salvation. He hates the Holy Spirit. He hates God. Listen, the enemy of your life is not your spouse. The enemy of your life is not your boss. The enemy of your life is not your neighbor. It is truly the devil, and it is Satan. First Peter 5.8 says, be, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Listen again, to go back to the point, this demon or demons answer the question who Jesus is. He's the son of, the, of, the, of God. He's the son of God. So I have two points I need you to listen to. And it comes from Scripture. In Genesis it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Jesus Christ came to destroy the devil. 1 John 3, 8 says, The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared. Listen. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. Jesus Christ appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And I hope you could say this, this modern song. It says, we believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. He has given us 
new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he is coming back again. We believe. Do you believe? Do you believe? In him you also, in Ephesians it says, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. Those pigs, I think about them. How much money that would have been worth. I'm in business and I think about the business owners that I help and I think about everything's usually around how much money. Those pigs can have been worth a trillion, trillion times a trillion, priceless. And Jesus still would have saved that man from those demons. He saved you and he would do it over and over and over again. This man is sitting there clothed in his right mind. We was, must never, ever, ever forget what Jesus has done for us. I can honestly say I know what my mind was like before. And I remember the struggle. I'm not perfect now. Until Jesus comes back or until he takes us home, obviously we have to suffer with the sin nature in our lives. But this man was sitting there clothed in his right mind. And think about this. These people said, go away, Jesus. Go away, Jesus. That's what they said. We don't want you around. And think about our society. Think about us. They said, go away. The last point. So the first point is Jesus has the power over our storms. He has the power to heal you. And Jesus has the power to send us to tell other people. So they said, go away. So what do you think Jesus does? It, it says in Scripture that he was getting in the boat to leave. It's a scary thing to talk to God that way and say, we don't want you around, get away, go away. He may just do that. But here's this man who he healed, and this man goes up to Jesus as he's getting into the boat and says, hey, I want to come with you. I want to be with you. I want to serve you. I, wa I don't want to be anywhere but with you. And I get that. But Jesus has this answer to him that, again, when you read Scripture, you say, what? That doesn't make any sense at first. No. Have you ever prayed to God and has he ever said no to you? If he has, he has the greatest and most amazing plan for you in that prayer. When he says no, he says yes to something else. These people say, go away. This man says, I want to go with you. And of course he wants to go with them. He's probably afraid that what happened to him is going to happen again. But that will never happen. He has the Holy Spirit inside of him. He has God. He'll never, ever have that happen again. He has Jesus with him. You don't ever have to worry about that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So Jesus says to him this interesting thing. No. Go home. <laughs> I laugh because if you want a tough assignment from God this is it go home and tell them what God has done for you 
and how he's had mercy on you. And it says this man did this. He went and he went to not only home, but to 10 cities. And he told everyone, they said they were all amazed. But I have to think that it had to be the most humbling thing to go home and to tell people, I love Jesus Christ and this is what he's done for me. And he's had mercy on me. First of all, they're going to look at this guy. He was naked. He was in the tombs. He was probably biggest psycho you've ever met in your life. Scary, um, murderous, trying to harm himself. And here he is, and everyone knew about him. Here he is saying to people, hey, Jesus Christ healed me to his parents, to his family. Listen to Psalm 66, 16. Psalm 66, 16. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. My wife Linda reminded me recently of an incident in my life. I'll, I'll never forget. I was standing in Smithtown in a parking lot at an Autumn's Bar. I used to be there, and we're hanging out with my friends, and uh, I was probably shorter than I am now, and I was hanging out with all my friends and all football players, and we're standing in a circle doing stupid stuff. And all of a sudden, this young girl from my school, and I recognized her. I didn't know her. I wasn't friends with her, but she came right up to us. And, and you have to imagine this. I mean, we're stupid guys, and here she comes straight towards us. There'd be six or seven of us, and she walks right up to us. And I swear she looked at me, and she pointed at me and said, You need Jesus course there was laughter and I don't know if I laughed I hope I didn't but I've never ever ever forgotten it here's a young girl who followed what God was telling her to do go over to those guys and tell them that they need Jesus and she did it I don't know where she is today I don't know who she is she God used her to change my life Don't ever think when you're sharing what God has done in your life that it's ever going to come back void. Trust me, you may feel that way, but it doesn't. This man loved Jesus and wanted to be with him and serve him. Sometimes we think we know the best thing for our lives, where we should be. But God's the only one that really knows that. If you have faith in him, he's the one who knows. You may fight against it, but where he's put you, look, he's put you in the job that he wants you in. He's put you in the family he wants you in. He's put you in the church. He's put you in the church he wants you in. And he wants you to be able to tell others. And that's great. Just because we all believe, and if you believe in Jesus Christ, doesn't mean we can't tell each other what Jesus has done in our lives. We all know, we all know what's been going on in our lives. Not only in our lives, but in the world around us. We all know how difficult it's been. We all know, though, that we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I was supposed to queue up my phone a long time ago, and I didn't do it. So I'm going to go to my next part, and then once the phone's on, I want to read a story to you that was posted on Facebook by a police officer. And it has to do with being able to reach out to other people and share the love of Christ. But I love hymns. I love them. Listen to this hymn. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory. 
of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. So this was posted by a police officer, and this is what he wrote. So I'm sitting in my cruiser typing a report, and this woman just came up to me and asked me if she could talk with me for a second. I said absolutely and got out of my cruiser and spoke with her. The very first thing she said to me was she told me that my life matters to her. She told me that she doesn't see me as a white cop. She sees me as a human and that we are all human and we are all the same. She then asked me if she could give me a hug in which I accepted. I told her that her life mattered to me as well and we continued to chat for 20 minutes about what's going on in the world. And during those 20 minutes, it wasn't a cop and a citizen or a cop and a black citizen talking. It was just two humans having a conversation. Before she left, she gave me a small Bible. Before she left, she gave me a small Bible and told me that she was praying for me. We need more people in the world like this woman. We need more people to be able to reach out to other people and to pray for other people and then tell them what God has done for them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have the power over our storms. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have the power to heal us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you, we thank you that you have the power to send us out to tell people what you have done for us and that you have had mercy on us. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we love you in your precious, holy, powerful name. Amen.